welcome back, ladies and germs, to another Stintlating's Tale on Never Stay Dead. Two rivals enter the ring in one corner. <laughs> you have standing at six foot ten, gleaming muscles, <laughs> brilliant mind. Your your primary host, <laughs> Charles Xavier. Yeah, yeah, uh, uh, Matthew, me. Oh, and Matthew, you're. Oh, I didn't realize. I didn't see your gleaming muscles. Yeah, uh, it doesn't come across on the camera. And you on should the take microphone. your shirt off more often. I guess I, there are I, people who who wish for that. It's true. And, and in the other corner, at a uh, three foot five, uh, <laughs> Bugs Bunny muscles. <laughs> I uh, come from the House of X. Yeah. Uh, but you have the powers of 10. There we go. Mr. Damien. Boo. We are back. <laughs> and I've been predicting that the comic book world is going to hate me after this uh, episode. If any of them listen. Of course. Um, so tonight we're going to talk about the complete House of X, Powers of X, or Powers of 10, pardon me. The miniseries by Jonathan Hickman and several artists. But yeah, discussing this Hickman reinvention of the X-Men and kind of this prelude to the new Age of X, or not Age of X, very aptly. <laughs> do, do they have a title for the overhaul of the X-Men or is it just Dawn of X or something? I don't know. They they've yeah. blown through it, so many. Who can a keep dawn them of straight? X, I've heard people say that. I, and I, I think, mean, this is not. Yeah. This is what's the term? Uh, not a reboot, but a retrofit. A there's a term for it. Retcon. Uh, re- retcon. It's a retcon of the X Men in a sense. It's both a retcon and a going forward. Yeah. A starting point for going forward from. Well, and the device by which they do so is intriguing, and core to this. A chunk of comics we're talking about so i should probably i feel like i should try to do the summary here um, okay can i just say you know because i know occasionally there are people listening who aren't you know deeply invested in marvel comics or maybe even know anything about them uh they brought in a superstar writer from the past the recent past to come back to marvel and reinvigorate uh the x-men which used to be Marvel's major franchise, which Marvel then kind of let go of for a while because of wanting to make the Inhumans more popular. Uh-huh. So now they're sort of reinvesting in the X-Men by bringing in this superstar writer to kind of both kickstart everything and also be kind of the showrunner for all the other writers now writing the X-Men. Does that Is sound that right? right? I think so. I don't know how the office for all that Anyway, I was just trying to set the stage a little bit for people who maybe don't read a lot of Marvel or know the Marvel history. Okay, yeah. Um, So, right. So, if and as with everything X-Men, which is part of what's kind of confounded them for the last decade, if you don't know anything about the X-Men, even trying to access this story is difficult. The X-Men have massive, confusing uh, continuity and character and massive number of characters and massive alternate histories and timelines, yes. 
and all of them intersect in some form of a main character in one moment or another so it, it's i'd argue the second most convoluted um group or franchise to follow in comic book comic bookdom the second yes i'm wondering who the first is after the legion ah the legion but the legion doesn't have the legion is certainly complex and has many reboots and such um but it doesn't have to me it doesn't have the intensity of the continuity and the complexity of the um timelines and i don't know but anyway that's arguable anyway it's one of the most complicated right i think the legion's more complicated to me because it's more boring so it's harder to try to figure out <laughs> uh, uh so well, okay. <laughs> no insult to our legion friends out there but it, it oh. is kind of less complicated i I'm think take it there's a less shot. going on so that might be why it's more boring for you Maybe. I don't know. But also, I've been invested in X-Men for a long time. So, I can't even do this uh, general explanation of the story without doing some form of spoiler, I don't feel. Yeah, uh, I think we have to we have to spoil this to talk about it. Like, uh, even from the jump, right? So... Yeah. Because it's all told, like... It, we'll get to the structure of the book in a little bit, but um. So, so why don't you try to summarize it, and uh, maybe I go at, after you've done it. If I think there's anything else, I can throw a few things in. Uh, right. So give it a shot. There's a character Moira who is reclassified here as Moira X, who lives a life, and then when she dies, she is reborn with full memory of her previous life lives as she continues and so she learns from them each time and ultimately one thing that confused me so i just want to clarify for <laughs> anyone listening i'm sorry for interrupting already is she relives the same life so let's say for instance she's born oh. in 1980 She's reborn again in 1980. It's not mm -hmm. your regular reincarnation where you move on to the next life. She redoes the same life, but with the memories of the first time she did it. And each life. Yeah. So she's born at the same point. Uh, but so through these lives, she kind of has her normal and where we knew her as kind of the mother of Prometheus and all this through normal X-Men lore through like the Claremont years or whatever. Then we hear about this life where she followed Xavier uh, kind of from the jump, one where she followed Magneto from the jump, one from one where she followed Apocalypse from where she could. And there's some others mingled in there about her learning, developing more on her own rights. But this life, and this is what triggers the entire moment, which the entire moment of this new X line doesn't even come in till what the second issue of powers of x i don't think um yeah the which was the third issue that i read right in my order of reading yeah. i think i'm a yeah, bit confused. Yeah, yeah. i i read this in trade and matt read it in individual issues which gave me some freedom to do it the right way um <laughs> so and it's she's lived 10 lives Right, so this is Moira X, Powers of X, 10. Yeah, that theme will come up a right. bazillion times. 
um, she has convinced Xavier to abandon his dream and Magneto to abandon his dream and for both of them to kind of do something different to survive because what they find is in the end the mutants however you look at that always lose and it tends to be to humans and robots and kind of an anti-life in a way if you will um and some of it gets bleak and esoteric and very sci-fi and some of it's more definite and within alternate terrible x-men futures that we've witnessed in one form or another so the impetus of her dream and where this carries forward is that the mutants are to establish their own nation on the mutant island of genosha and Krakoa. yes Krakoa. why did i say genosha because <laughs> i'm confusing because they previously had a mutant nation called Genosa. Yeah, because I don't know if it was on Krakoa, or... because that's one of the I things I'm remember. trying to keep in mind talking about Genosha, because that's where Emma Frost comes in, which I think is super important to this. But um, okay, so they're on Krakoa. Sorry, I'm, I misspoke. Um, and they are being nationalists. They are mostly i wouldn't say isolating themselves from the world but they're creating their own nation where only mutants are allowed in and then they're trying to export things out and they're trying they're trying to establish their new rules and right before the dawn of the announcement of this nation um they take their first shot against the robotic side of humanity in what is a death run for the x-men and after the team of the x-men right right um and yeah so um so from there um you kind of get this baptized in blood birth of a nation where they it starts becoming more of a political thriller which is interesting i feel like that's the best way to kind of set it up without diving too deep into any detail to overview it well, so as I understood it, Moira is shaping and reshaping history each and like like doing an experiment where you try it again and again till you get it right with each lifetime. Mm-hmm. And so by the 10th lifetime apparently she's succeeded in making everything fall into place for what she needs, which is Professor X and Magneto working together with the mutant island Genosha, which I guess is a senti- sentient... Krakoa, sorry, now I make I messed you up. The sentient... I could have easily done it myself. They're working with this sentient island that gives them all kinds of special advantages, including uh, teleportation flowers that only will let through people with the mutant X gene and giving them special drugs created from other flowers that they can uses bargaining trips, sort of super drugs that they can, uh, you know, that will get rid of diseases and cancer and stuff that they can use to leverage their political power. Well, yeah, yeah. So, um, so these gates are being established across the world that allow the transportation. So mutants basically just need to reach these gates and they can jump through and others can't. Now, how it knows Cyclops from Spider-Man 
is it technically be X gene? I guess there's I guess. a difference in the genes between the Spider-Man's <laughs> right. Spider-Man's mutated genes and their regularly mutated genes. Um, the the definitions of mutant are very vague when you start thinking about it too much. And some mutants' powers seem to be basically magic, and some seem to be science. And obviously, you can't really mutate into magic. I'll tell that to but this magic. reincarnation <laughs> that Moira does seems like magic to me. Right, and there's a character called Magic there. <laughs> so that this this mix of magic and science as part of mutation has been in X Men for a long time, mm-hmm. although they always claim it's kind of science fictional. But um, right. so another thing, speaking of magic or science, is they discover. Uh, this is a point I got very confused about, like the timeline of it. Like, when did they start figuring this out? But they discover they can use these golden balls as eggs to create new bodies for the mutants who have died and bring back their minds, which have been recorded in the c- Cerebro. I don't ever know. Cerebro? Mark three. Or, <laughs> yes, Cerebro. Um, have been recorded by Professor X in the Cerebro. So he's recorded millions of X-Men minds and he can reincarnate them. So this seems to be a play on the fact that all these characters always come back to life. So now we're just admitting they have this technology to bring every single mutant back to life when they have the time to do it. Well, and they're they're getting around to it too. It's super, it's super weird how they're going about it. It It's interesting. And part of it is to give gold balls a uh, place in all this and give some meaning to his powers. Because originally gold balls was a Bendis invention. His whole point was his mutant powers. He can make these golden balls appear out of nowhere. And what do they do? Not much, but he became a very beloved character. uh, Almost a comic relief character or something but now suddenly he's key but yes so he must just spend all day making golden balls to be turned to bring back all the mutants back to life well him and uh so hope is in there as kind of allowing the other powers in this to work together there's prometheus in there to alter the reality within these to make it work and then there's um another mutant that's essentially like time warping them so that they come out at this optimal age as opposed to just being newborn clones which given marvel pseudoscience up to this point i feel is unnecessary due to the the work of miles warren but i guess we can (laughs) skip over that yeah there always seem to be aged up clones whenever they need them in the marvel universe yeah So it seems like maybe there it's hard to break break this down but maybe there's three main fre- threads which one is the establishment of the nation do they call the nation Krakoa the establishment of the mutant yeah. nation Krakoa on Krakoa and how all of that works with the teleportation and the golden balls bringing back people to life and and the theme of they basically, we're superior to you, you humans. We're going to be nice to you now, but we're telling you we're eventually going to take over the world and the world is ours. And we're keeping separate and we're not going to take any of your bullshit. And, you know, there you are. And then there's the thread of how all of this was done through the 
constant reincarnation of Moira. I wish I could remember Moira's original last name. McTaggart, I, I believe. McT- Moira McTaggart, there you go. And and then there's this other kind of wilder and harder to follow plot mm-hmm. about the idea of machine evolution, which ultimately leads to these godlike minds that are live inside of black holes and absorb other civilizations once they reach a certain level of machine evolution and um while while the x-men may have stopped the machine evolution on our planet for now it sounds like kind of an inevitable thing that eventually takes over the entire universe right um there's a lot don't know how that plays out (laughs) well and so that's kind of the uh play of the titles right there's the house of x the rise of the mutants as this nation as this force and then there's the powers of 10 where they're talking about stopping the robots now but the problem about artificial intelligence and all that is that it grows at an exponential rate and so and these exponential godlike beings already exist all around us in the universe they they just haven't absorbed earth yet right so they're there they're not created by the machines on earth originally they're created by other civilizations too every civilization ends up becoming one of these you know hyper godlike machine minds living inside a black hole well and what's really interesting about that is it ties a lot of threads of some of the more bizarre x-men stuff together in a weird way that actually creates a kind of stronger continuity of theme that Mm -hmm. gives the x-men a more blatant arch nemesis especially since they're removing kind of the uh xavier magneto dynamic and making more this biology versus machines but in that it's the sentinels and all iterations of the sentinels and kind of gives the powers of 10 theme from like the old clunky robots of old to the uh, Omega Sentinels kind of introduced during um, Operation Zero Tolerance in the 90s, uh, which were kind of humans retrofitted to be Sentinels that were deadlier and scarier, of course, Mm -hmm. Um, to introducing that mixed with the Falnix, which was more of a sci-fi concept that played more in like the New Mutants, I believe and other like shiar technology and all that kind of blended together but they also take advantage of this technology too as part of their rebirth initiative which i thought was really fascinating well well what puzzles me and maybe so first of all i have a lot of ignorance here because i basically stopped reading the Mm x-men in the mid 80s i tried a little bit when Jim Lee was doing them, but I didn't really understand what was going on. And then I came back and read the Josh Whedon and I read the Grant Morrison runs. But other than that, it's all stuff I haven't read. Right. So maybe a lot of this rests on the continuity from the periods that I did not read X-Men. But the, the concept that there's these phalanx things out there, it just seems to make meaningless all the other struggles, even the Shi'ar and all of that are meaningless compared to these giant, all-consuming intelligences. And everything else in the Marvel Universe, even the Celestials, are small compared to the Phalanx people. Well, the, the Phalanx was kicked up here in kind of this final like, po- like post-future act um, to be that 
bizarre threat um which i've noticed this and hickman is guilty of this because he's now done it with the avengers the x-men and the fantastic four where marvel present this like huge threat some point like way in the future and it's so domineering and so powerful and then the only people to fight it or survive it are the people of the title involved and not the marvel universe and so it just kind of splinters the idea Mm -hmm. of that shared universe in a very weird way um so that was one of my least favorite parts of this Um, right and frankly the robotics part like the general theming of it i kind of liked but anytime we jumped past the now present i kind of tuned out because i don't care Mm -hmm. because so it's interesting that you have moira x um going and in a very early life of hers that's shown here she actually struggles against the mutants trying to stop them um and mystique and destiny are the ones who end up killing her and destiny gives her this speech about like how you know we're forever linked and um all this weird bits about precognition and all that versus her living her life and but i mean she'll have to learn every time it's it's a weird just juxtaposition so when they establish the nation they say no precogs are allowed on the island because they would know that everything they're building is destined to fail um, <laughs> which is fascinating um but also this idea of someone who's living infinite lives ultimately is only feared by someone who can predict the future because in a weird way that person has a glimpse over the one part that this person doesn't have because they almost have dominion over the past because they're able to engineer uh, their little section of the world the way they want right super high level kind of sci-fi concepts going on there which i appreciated tons of great concepts but to me they all bump into each other we were just talking about how the machine the what do you, the machine singularity so to speak kind of makes everything seem pointless but also uh this idea of all of the mutants can be endlessly reborn um even if you take away your one's questions about the mechanism because these people have to make a thousand people a day come back to life. They're going to spend the rest of their lives just doing that. But um, <laughs> so now Moira X can live forever. Well, she can, but then she can they only can. live within this timeline. So if her... she gets reborn over, look what happens when she dies, she goes back, but at the same time they make a copy of her and download her brain into that copy. Uh, see here's kind of the fun where i'm willing to throw a lot of that sort of stuff a line here is this is launching a new era for the x-men supposedly hickman has plans for right. a decade i doubt sales will allow that but we're a few months into it relatively like i don't we're not as many issues into the books as long as these miniseries has run um right right you so have read many of the x books that came out of this and i have after not everyone um, yeah how many titles is that two, six i don't know too many ten i'm not it should be shouldn't it <laughs> guess it's marvel and, shooting for at this point because these things are selling like hotcakes well um, in those t- right and marvel likes to you know strike while the iron is hot in spades so they're gonna put yeah. out 
a ton of books now, but yeah, inevitably a lot of them will fall to the side and they'll they'll move on to something else. But so in the books that came since, is there issues of the phalanx and does no, this... of course not. That that's going to be more of an endgame thing. Right. Um, and but... do do people are be are people constantly being brought back to life? Yes. Uh-huh. So, I, like I said, there's this death run in this comic where it's a lot of the big names and a couple that I'd never heard of before because it's X Men. There's always some character you've never heard of, right? And uh, even you, y- even yeah, it's. <laughs> funny seeing you know different communities and how they go now but the x-men community is very welcoming when someone's like who is this character people don't get weird about it they're just like here you go here's the basic of what you need to know and if you want (laughs) to know more like here's a few issues because i I think to be an x-men fan is to kind of realize like it's just a never-ending sea of continuity and characters and it's kind of fun because there's always something new but also you're kind of expected to know more than you could ever rightfully know unless you're already a dedicated fan. So it's pretty. So now we have a nation of super powered, superior humanoids who never die or don't necessarily have to die. They can all be reborn constantly, but there is a loss in their death still. And they, they are clearly oh, superior oh, to humanity. Where, where's the tension in death in comics? You cannot. Know, but where's you the cannot. Tension when, no, no, no. You can't where, just throw that against this. That's, where's the tension when you've stated point blank that they are superior, they are better, they're going to win in the end, and they all live lives over and over again? Because they've stated that their mission's going to fail. They've stated a number of political tensions. And if you care about this sort of stuff, what's always more interesting and more fun to read is the character interactions and what these characters do and their small victories or losses along the way. But a lot of their differences have been taken away from them too. So Professor X is no longer the idealist who wants to... uh, have humans and mutants live together oh, okay and whoa whoa, whoa 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 hold on that is a whole topic right there so professor x has given up that dream yes because he's seen that it is doomed to fail and that was the dream that the entire x-men were built on as a series from 1964 on or whenever they started sure but also the metaphor of that idea of those who are different just integrating fully has proven to maybe not work out so well. And with the idea of mutants and how they built it up, this idea of establishing a new nation to live in the world, but to be playing on this political level, which is a lot more where this sort of diversity stuff is talked about and moved on in this day because with globalization kind of things have happened in different ways i don't know it, it feels more present it feels more right apt another to talk about sort of staple of the x-men is for the most part i mean there's some mutants who don't but they live among us but they're different so that it was a metaphor for um racism or homophobia 
you could view yourself, you know, say you're Jewish and you're living in society and people don't know you're Jewish until some sign comes up like your Jewish name or something else. Um, or you're gay and you can pass for straight, but but underneath you're gay. You know, the, the mutants were a metaphor for all those things. What are they a mutant? What are they a metaphor for now as this separate separatist superior in almost every possible way and economically more powerful and everything more powerful nation the way communities work online which is where these conversations are being had now where things are separate and they do interact together and then they move as a presence together outwards it's a lot more how the conversation's being had now and so it uh, but so world. now the now the mutants represent the one of the ugly facets of life. Why does it have to be ugly? They represent the uh, the separatist leverage your power over your enemies. Don't compromise. Don't. They are leveraging their power in offering people extended lives, more free of disease, and to help them live their best life as long as they're alive and as long as they are willing to recognize their island and just allow them sovereignty and peace they are offering the gift of a better healthier life yeah but basically they're dominating the earth through that leverage through peace they're they're a fantasy of some group that doesn't like all the other groups separating themselves from that group. So, uh, you know, they, they seem to me to represent this, this setup seems to represent a fantasy of what different currently unable to compromise political groups feel about each other or the, the way the Israelis would like to treat the Palestinians or the way the Palestinians would like to treat the Israelis. It seems to me to be all about it seems to be the reverse of what the X-Men used to be about. It, well, that's going to be part of what's interesting about it, though. That's what makes this so daring, is this is pushing an idea of can you have a nationalistic movement in a positive light? Can that be a good thing? It's, it's we're superior to the rest of the world that we, because we're comic book characters, we're going to do it in a nice way and give you drugs. I mean, to help you live a little bit longer, but we are superior to you and we're going to stay separate from you. This uh, trend towards separatism, you know, the, like we have in the US for the left and the right. Well, or... but look, well, so I'm kind of with you, and that's part of what I was worried about this book. And I actually had some of the reaction you had when i was hearing about it in general in reading it i find it a lot more fascinating and what's really tipped me over to loving this idea and willing to see how it plays out is a lot in the books that have followed and especially in marauders um what you see and what you have to remember is how are mutants being treated everywhere else in the world how are these you know how's this minority class being treated by the majority very poorly locked away in camps ostracized beaten um you know they're all that they want is to live well right. 
there's in order no to do good that. humans there's no nice humans or That's there's saying, no good liberals if you're a conservative all liberals are these weird freaks who will cheat you and rob you or if you're a liberal all conservatives are these bad people good people don't do that you can have people fight for freedom but ultimately it's those bad actors that leave the marks if you will it's not saying all humans are bad and they intersect with that as well but they also intersect with the political bit of people where there's nowhere in this book that i read where they intersect with any idea of any humans being any good really i can't think of a single scene the only scene what about with all humans, the political scenes those all reveal that these people have have uh, bad motivations and we're just going to force them to do what we want through our leverage and but they basically would they all have their own motivations their own self-interests in mind does that make them bad though well none of them want to do any good to any mutant um, they don't necessarily want to do bad to mutants either it's a political discussion based on the power presented at the table and that's the thing when you're talking about it at this level that's how it's talked about that's how it's leveraged that's, that's how a happens. rationalization of what this is which is a metaphor of separate yeah. separation yeah exactly can national and other othering of all sides to each other exactly can a nationalistic movement be positive it's never been no so it's in not history. positive for the humans it's said right in the book the humans are his are toast they just don't know it yet the very the very and, concept, and they say we are superior the very you... concept of mutants existing in the marvel universe it means humans are over at a certain point that is how evolution works and that's something that's kind of being honored here is this idea that i mean we want to play nice but it, when we're talking about the pure nature of it nature is violent inherently <laughs> so it's a certain recognition of that fact but they try to do the best thing moving forward with it no, they're trying to do the best thing for their own group. That's all. Well, and every human that's willing to let them be. When do they say that? They don't know. Not the we're going to force. We're going to use the leverage of these supp supposed good things we're giving to humans to control them. But other well, than that, we they have offer no them, interest in them. They offer them gifts, and it's presented as leverage. But you know, I, what I mean that's kind of like the debate of is a good deed a good deed if the person who's doing the good deed gets any enjoyment or self-satisfaction out of it does it matter i don't know this just seems to be an extension of all the ugly politics of the current moment with uh with no yes. apologies no attempt to make it better or care about it well should people be sorry for bettering their own lives that's another thing kind of presented here as well but that's, you know, that would be the excuse of any country that takes advantage of other countries. That's the excuse of every punk rocker trying to eke out against the cops as well. That's the, that is the excuse of anyone who's playing against a position of power to take their own power. But it's, then it becomes, then you become the person in power and you're using those same excuses. The people in power, your excuses yeah. become their excuses. What happens when those who rebel have to wear the crown? That is one of the most 
fascinating stories that are rarely told because usually the story ends the minute the rebellion wins. But there's no, there's nothing positive here. It's all negative. I so think that's true. A Look, story of heroism. There's no what, heroism in this story whatsoever. What about the moment with Wolverine and the children? I don't remember that moment. So when when we finally are on Krakoa, the mutant children are brought on. They're playing. They are establishing themselves. You have so many mutants who have been essentially child soldiers coming in. And they're talking about feeling this just kind of moment of peace and serenity. Um, there's a lot there. And the other factor, too, that's brought up very heavily in Powers of X is the idea of the uh, mutant genocide that's taken place over the comics, where the mutant population was rising. Right. And then there's the um, the incident at Genosha, which was Grant Morrison's run, which took it down. And then there was the, um, I forget what it's called, but when um, Scarlet Witch says no more mutants, and they're brought down to the 199. Right, and she uses which... her mutant magic power to take away the power of about a million remaining mutants. Well, and that no more mutants can be born, and they aren't for years after. And then we slowly get introduced to a handful more mutants, but essentially like the population's been decimated to a point where they're on life support they're barely surviving and so now they're at a point it was where to they're... bring the mute i mean from the writer's point of view it was to bring things back to the early days of the x-men where it was easier to have yeah. plots and stuff because you didn't have a nation of x they were kind of regretting the whole Gen genosha thing and... because here's another thing that marvel comics is the world outside your window and if you take these ideas too far you're so far away from our world, you're nowhere near the world outside our window. Well, And um, my friend Bob, Bullseye Bob, I've heard him on his YouTube channel, Everything Comics, say that he wonders if this X-Men, these X-Men books are now in a different universe than the rest of the Marvel Universe. Because no. how would this line up with the rest of the Marvel Universe and what's going on there? the same way when galactus comes crashing down or when spider-man has some like world ending event happen in new york that only affects everyone for five minutes or any other number of cataclysmic things or political within this there's earth is is humanity is no longer important and um at the same time, they don't have cancer and things like that. <laughs> you keep coming back to this, but by the very incident of mutants being the evolutional projection, that has been the case for the longest time, which has been the fear that like powered a, you know the purifiers or gaining creed or any number of the X-Men antagonists throughout the years because they're afraid of that inevitability and what that means. But that's, but that's why new. a lot of the big stories were, you know, futures that may or may not happen and stuff so that you could still keep the X-Men within the Marvel Universe. It just doesn't make sense that any of this exists with the Fantastic Four and the Avengers and Spider-Man and, and the rest. 
And by the end of the, so I think, I mean, it makes a lot of sense too, because Moira has rewritten the reality 10 times. Mm -hmm. So in a sense, you could say we are in a different universe than other things. I mean, you could say that from any, well, I mean, Spider-Man has two of those major moments where that would affect everyone as well, or um, Daredevil's had a and couple. You constantly have to kind of reset the Marvel Universe as only having, you know, been around about 15 years, mm -hmm. or you get too much of a... Me so what Hickman's done is written this like a science fiction writer and just move on from there, and you move into the future, and there is the connection to the modern day is further and further removed. But it, it to me, it takes away any feeling of what Marvel Comics normally is, which, as I said, the world outside your window stuff. Uh, the, the, the feeling of the Marvel Universe being set in a somewhat close to our worst world. I just don't think that's been Marvel's way for ever. I, I mean, once these characters kind of hit a scope, um it just hasn't felt like that like iron man's had such a futurist bend since fraction was on it that the technology was so beyond anything that we could fathom and not just iron man but what like stark tech introduces for the common consumer and the same with the fantastic four if you were realistic about all the technology they have brought into the world we would be living in an entirely different world than, than we do well, with the Fantastic Four, I talk about the reality bending uh, stuff introduced regularly. I mean, they're dealing with things that would radically change. I mean, it, the way that they deal with exploration is so fantastic that it's incomprehensible if you're trying to bring it to the real world. Um, I, don't get me wrong. These are all fun stories. I love them. All the technology that Mr. Fantastic invents and and or borrows from aliens, as do the X-Men borrow stuff from aliens. But so so the way that Marvel traditionally did it is these things are being done. You know, there's a few mutants out there and there's, uh, you know, there's a few things that that the Fantastic Four and Iron Man can do. But this is the whole world changing. And maybe that's that's been happening for a while in Marvel Comics, as you're saying. And now that it's come to really come home to roost in this comic book, where it is a 100% science fictional world. I think actually what's maybe triggering this thought more for you, prevalently with this story, is less the technological or the conceptual level, but the political level. What makes it feel grounded enough to actually feel different is the fact that this is intersecting with more real nations and more real like there's more grounded there's more men in suits and power that have to contend with these things there's kind of a real emotion to how they're throwing their power around that i haven't seen in kind of many comics before unless it was in a very different setting I guess it's it's turning to me. It's turning the metaphor of the X Men into something one hundred percent ugly and unpleasant. It might you could argue it's realistic and it's the way of the world, but it's it's not um, it's not something I can relate to personally. 
I could relate. I mean, I'm not gay, but I could relate to that I concept of being hidden and the struggle for identity and acceptance from the larger world. Um, I am half Jewish and I've experienced, you know, being a quote hidden Jew and I've experienced people finding out that I'm Jewish and then saying, oh, now I see it and that kind of stuff. Um, so I, I, and, and I, uh, at least have some clues of the African-American experience and everything, but, um, and I, like when I read, uh, Malcolm X, I totally understood the desire for a completely separatist African state. Um, but that's, that's such a different and non- hopeful view of things uh, to come from Marvel Comics that I was just kind of shocked where all this all this was going. But on the other hand, what they're doing is they're bringing all their people together to talk through things, the good, the bad, the ugly. And they're, they're making creating laws something. for the mutant state. Well, but th- They are, but also they're creating a culture they, their own. They're developing their own language. They're developing their own ideals, their own laws, their own kind of sense of morality. And they're trying to take what they know to be good and to be bad and forge something new. And I think part that of... That is an interesting story. Right. It, it's definitely a massive change in, in direction for me. But of course, I haven't read all of the 90s and 2000s X-Men. Well, and what's also happening as a consequence, like this this moment in this book is kind of a schism where they're playing really heavy into the separation thing. But the truth is, is like they still have to interact with the world. They are a nation in the world. And so there's still interaction dealing with it. And I think another thing that makes it more compelling is that I think there's a recognition of some of what you're talking about. One of the rules that they establish in the nation of three is they will not kill any humans right um the other is to get it on and make more mutants in a very interesting uh bit (laughs) with nightcrawler um oh god what was the other law um oh to cherish their landed people this book is so big i can't find there's pages which just state these laws but i can't find them there are and that's another thing that i going a bit more um straight to the comic side is one thing that these comics do that's very hickman-esque is they have pages where they break away and they have diagrams or little um exposés or files that do a lot of exposition world building that would take pages of comics dialogue but instead just kind of snap to get to an idea and you move on the story with more information and this i was torn whether that was cool or lazy i think it's cool for a number of reasons it allows more information to be presented more quickly it allows the story to be strength where it can be strength and it allows us to get more comic pages ultimately we get a couple extra pages out of it and the diagrams don't necessarily eat into that page count so you get more for it i i guess but like like all of this going back to the robot (laughs) the robot uh singularity and the phalanx and all that Almost all of the explanation of the, all that science fiction is just in info dump text. And mm-hmm. so 
if you skipped that stuff, it would really not make sense. It's really like, it's, it's like Hickman had these ideas that he couldn't actually enact in a story on stage, so he just dumps them on you. And, and then for me, I'm left going, well, what am I supposed to do with this information? And because um, it seems, again, with, particularly with the robot stuff, it seems to just negate the meaningfulness of anything going on in the story, rest of the stories. Well, I, I think part of the reason for that with the robotic growth, the reason it was presented that way is because there's not, it was to kind of get to the idea of the robots are growing AI internally. And so it mm-hmm. is just kind of this um robotic movement it is just kind of a thing that happens in their progression and then we get bits of those stories broken up within that and i think that was the kind of theme i agree i think it's again the weakest and maybe the laziest part of this story um i also think it's the least significant because what it is doing is just presenting another alternate future in which they would fail but ultimately that's already been established within the story and you could basically skip that chunk and not really lose any of the meaning in everything else because the idea has already been established so say i didn't care about the marvel universe and the (laughs) metaphors of the x-men that i thought were really great things and positive (laughs) say i didn't care about any of that and say this is just a science fiction comic book that i'm reading it's yes, it's full of co- cool ideas, but it is enacted terribly. M- large, you know, hundreds of pages <laughs> without any real characterization, except relying on characterization that people already know from previous X Men reading. If if I were to read this just as a science fiction novel by itself, I'd have no uh, idea who these people were or their motivations, and. Um, they just sort of stand around and make grand statements and then you move on to the next scene of people standing around making grand statements and there's only a few little bits of the whole book that actually have action or interaction beyond just communicating jonathan hickman's big ideas so it's hard for me to talk to this because they're when it comes to X-Men, Spider-Man, or Ninja Turtles, I lack the ability to read it as if I was a new reader on any conceivable mm-hmm. level because these characters and ideas are so embedded in me that I just, I can't forget on any level. Um, but what I do know is that this refresh of X-Men has connected with so many people on such a level that wasn't right. just they picked up the comic, but they kept picking up the comics and they're reading more. And even people who aren't, you know, grabbing everything want to read X-Men where they haven't been reading X-Men for years or at all. Yeah. This was the most popular comic book series of 2019, I would say, overall. Right. And it brought a lot of people back to comic book stores, apparently. Uh, my comic book store owner has talked about that to me. Um, it just leaves me puzzled as to how how everyone got so much out of this so i i think there's more in the characterization of it than maybe it looks at first blush because i think some of it comes through read it wrong well it's not that you read it wrong it's just like like there's there's some good moments with cyclops i know where there's that whole bit where it's like 
right before they're going on the death march essentially it's like um what you need to do is impossible does it need doing then it will be done you know right like the constant well, foot the soldier. scene where that team goes off to some weird sentinel outer space thing by the sun was one of the best acted out scenes in the it, book it's the only action scene in the book really it's the only action scene in the book and people are seemingly make a sacrifice and we only find out afterwards they probably all knew they were going to be brought back to life or maybe they didn't know well i i think they knew but again there's that loss of i mean i i, I don't know how, how much it counts but i mean they do lose time and there is something to that but in that 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 rebirth there's also that rebirth ceremony where you have storm kind of playing on a couple aspects of her previous character as the queen and as the leader of uh the x-men for a while and um in that you kind of had this more you talk about community and all this and what's positive for them like that is that is kind of a weird cool scene that's completely new for the x-men Storm is leading a giant crowd that is raising their fists into the air and shouting mutant. Right. So, yay, we've become like the Nazis. <laughs> or any church gathering or any big communal thing where people are taking uh, a pride in their A little more than a church gathering, but maybe a Donald Trump rally? I don't know. But I, it's, it's, not a pretty, it's not a pretty sight for sensitive eyes. I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't know. You, you keep making all these negative illusions, but I've seen it. I understand what you're talking about, but I also have seen this done positively as well. It is groups of people working within themselves, building this identity. Like, it's culture. It, it seems like that kind of rally f for the type of person we are always goes south in the end because it that can be violent but it can be positive as well like isn't... stonewall right or something you know it, it, a right. lot and of its the people point of at view. the trump rallies will say you know why can't we be proud of being white you know as they all raise their fists together in unison i don't <laughs> think you know once you get even if you're gay once you get to the point where it's just all about gay pride and nothing else and no connection to the rest of the world I think that's pretty sad, which is, again, the situation here because they're on their own special island that no humans can go on and that will now dominate the earth. Or so it seems within these books. Now, you, you've you read more. Maybe it doesn't work out that way. <laughs> well, I mean, they have their nation, but I mean, they're all doing different things. There's different characterizations. They all interact in different ways. In the new beings, they basically go off into space and have space adventures, so it almost has nothing to do with the rest right. of this. Um, Can I, they still be reborn? I mean, I or are they too far sure. off in space for that to work? I mean, they could be reborn. It's just would they know to rebirth them if they die in space? No one tells them, I guess. I, um, but I, that's the cool thing about this Rebo 3.0 thing is um, from a data center perspective, there's this bit where... Um, xavier and forge are talking to each other about developing this and forge is saying well for what you want to develop i only see two problems you need infinite storage capacity and right. infinite power yes 
And Xavier has a coy smile because of the ties to the Shi'ar technology is also part of ultimately their doom. And also, interestingly, you're talking about infinite power and storage data ties directly into that powers of X and what is ultimately their downfall in that, like, you know, apocalyptic future there. So uh, there's more connections being made here that I feel are going to present themselves as Hickman kind of weaves this tapestry forward. But it's fascinating to see that he's tackling it on so many levels. And I guess it's connected with a lot of people because it's compelling, it's interesting, it's new, it's fresh, it's doing a lot. But what I'm hearing is you're not liking it because every time you see something, you see this very negative allusion to something, which is something I can relate to you on because I was completely unable to access um, Secret Empire. Uh, due to the way Nick Spencer wrote that at that time of that fever pitch that was around the time of the election and Mm -hmm. it was a Nazi Captain America and I just I couldn't really get past it but also that's what the book was about and so but there was no other aspects there's no other angles there was no twisting or play in that it was just that maybe this is just all about Brexit and England would like to become Krakoa. They are an island after all, and they're trying to not be connected to the European Union um, and keep their culture, you know, safe. Safe. Um, I don't know. I can't stop going back to that as the basic metaphor for this book. (laughs) Brexit? But so also, like, I couldn't get who is Professor X anymore. He struts around looking kind of odd, never taking his helmet off. And I don't know. They're, they just walk around. Him and Magneto just walk around. I don't know. They just kind of walk around with no expressions on their faces. And Part of the problem that goes to the lack of characterization and stuff is the way the art was, which is the kind of art where people have the same expression on their face panel after panel after panel, I guess because that's easier to do. They were really good at the big special effects, but but the human faces and stuff, while kind of perfectly drawn, uh, didn't do much in the way of acting or anything. Or did you not feel that? I didn't feel that. I mean, you'll see, I mean, Xavier's face is somewhat obscured to be somewhat mysterious after the point of which the nation is founded, but not before. Um, So there's something interesting there where he is kind of, He's purposely hiding himself in a way, even from those that he's around, because he has to kind of keep this poker face going, which is kind of the conceit of this whole thing, Um, which is interesting because it plays that idea of the leader who is setting up kind of this belief system and all this, but ultimately isn't going to believe it as fervently as those that he's raising with the belief, because that's all they know, and they don't have those doubts that come through the process of creation. Um, I'm sure that's going to come to a head somewhere, especially as they're building, you know, the White King, the King, so on and so forth. Um, and so I, I I think also, like, there's that moment we were talking about a storm, and that was very expressive. There's a lot to the faces there. Um, and I believe there's a lot of scenes with Magneto where he's talking I'm to the politicians. Sure. Maybe I'm looking at the wrong scene with Storm, but I'm trying to hold this up to the screen that we're sharing. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know if you can see this picture there. Yeah, I mean, there's no expression on her face. 
anyway well i mean when she's talking and interacting with the various people like mm-hmm. uh when the one says you know like don't touch me and then she gets that big smile and i know her and all that i mean that's kind of also part of the idea of the speech too is there's kind of the cold low and then the very expressive high so this has gotten you super excited for the x-men and i assume that even though it seems like except for the far future doom of everybody in the entire universe well that's just a good marvel comic (laughs) that that it feels like at the end of this hox pox house of x uh, powers of x hardback that i read that there's really not a lot more story to tell but obviously that's wrong because there's already six or more issues did you feel like it was kind of complete as it was or did you feel like it opened up a whole it sounds like you felt differently on that level about it oh definitely well i mean they're establishing a nation and now they have to live with the consequences and live in the world of that idea and actually interact and so i mean you're talking about isolationists and that they're interact with each other or interact with the rest of the world both that's the fun of it that's what makes this exciting is it's a new status quo and now what happens when you throw wrenches at it and so and for that, I mean, if you were to push on any book, I think you'd get the most out of Marauders, because it's basically the best one. Um, but also, it's the most gleeful of them, because it almost belies some of uh, the points of this book. I, I also think it gets to some of the negativity that you're pushing on looking at is kind of, I think, some of the reality of being kind of the kingmakers or... Um, playing at that political level as opposed to the people being in a nation who are more in between i mean we start seeing some of these intersections where like um bobby drake uh is interacting with his parents who are human and so they're not on the island but he can still go see them regularly and so he visits um you 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 have interactions with them saving mutants across the world still um, and, and dealing with the political ramifications of the nations that don't recognize their sovereignty. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and I do think one of the coolest parts in House of X was of Cyclops interacting with the Fantastic Four over uh, Sabretooth. Right. That was pretty early on. It was. The, the superheroes, the rest of the superhero universe to me seemed to, except for a brief mention of Namor, seemed to disappear um, as the book continued. Yeah, I mean, how much of the Marvel Universe interacts with any of these big plays, really, when you get down to it, there's usually your big shot of something happening with a lot of the characters. But I mean, that actual moment with the Fantastic Four is more than we normally get with some of these earth-shaking events. What did you think of their punishment of Sabretooth? I, that's, that's like an original sin thing that's going to bite them in the arse. They literally take Sabretooth um, for being a murderous bastard, basically. Um, And they, because they won't kill him, they force him to exist in perpetuity at, like, the core of Krakoa. So he's just kind of encased in darkness and existing, but can't can't do anything, but he's, he's aware. So that's, like, the worst torture possible. Right. And for the sin of having killed some humans while on a mission they sent him on. Um, yeah, but it's Sabretooth. It was a long time coming as they all, well, as um, as his ex-wife and a number of people he's worked with in the past attest, 
yeah, screw this guy. <laughs> <laughs> right. I mean, obviously, he has a long history of being a disgusting murderer. But so does Wolverine. But they like Wolverine. True. Yeah. <laughs> so do. Yeah, somehow, Wolverine's murders are okay. And that's the thing about the X-Men, too, is most of them are usually a little bloodier than your average Marvel character. Like, Cyclops even has a bit of a body count. When I was a kid, he managed to use his blasts, even though they constantly said he was the most powerful X-Men at the time, which is hard to believe now. But um, he would somehow use his bla- control his blasts, so he just stunned people. Yeah, now Iceman's more powerful than Cyclops, even so... Well, it's it's fascinating. I wonder if there's other people out here who, or if it's just me, who's totally turned off by all of this. Because most people seem very turned on and excited by the X-Men. I think the, the problem with maybe finding more naysayers is this isn't like just a shifting of the guard. It's that X-Men... Um, really compressed for a long time by marvel's design like they couldn't just kill off the x-men because it was selling so well but then they kind of threw that inhuman spit that you were talking about earlier at it and then it was kind of maligned and there's a lot of editorial pressure on x-men and in my mind the basically last two runs before this weren't helping matters any and so x-men is just kind of existed and there's definitely your diehard fans that have kept going but this was such a revitalization of something that was so beloved but hasn't really had that moment in such a long time that this blew up uh, beyond anyone's expectations i suppose you could view another way to view this as a metaphor of the geeks the when i was a kid reading comics you had to stay hidden like the x-men did and now the geeks have become the great powers in um, both the technology geeks and the uh, entertainment geeks. The, the most successful entertainment is Marvel superheroes and the most and again, successful companies are high-tech companies. It's those online communities bringing people together in a way that kind of creates this mentality that the book's talking about. But this is flaunting our, our quote, our our superiority over the rest of humanity you know yes we're superior and we know it and we're gonna use use that if you got it flaunt it instead of holding ourselves back and trying to be nice to you non-geeks that's the most gentle metaphor i've come up with compared to all the more militaristic and nationalistic ones but it's true (laughs) and jonathan hickman i would guess i mean he does his best to be polite and humble when i've seen him speak but underlying it is a sense of his superiority. <laughs> oh, yeah. No doubt. Well, and the oh. success of House of X and Powers of X has proven him yet again to be the superior person <laughs> in the world of comics. <laughs> it's true. And I mean, like, he's already been beloved for a lot of the runs he's done and a lot of the work he's done. I. But I, there's something to this, and it was pointed out to me, like, um, when he's doing Avengers, any one of those stories, like, he could have interchanged a few of the characters or whatever, and it didn't really matter. But here, there's such a love of kind of the characters in the universe that he's bringing in that just, he cares more about X-Men than a lot of his other Marvel work. Um, this it, reminds me through. a lot, sorry, this reminds me a lot of black monday murders did you read that series only two trades ever came out 
which is one of his more recent tr uh, series at Image, which is about a cabal of Mammon, a literal god of greed, Mammon worshiping cultists who control the economy of the entire world for the past several hundred or a thousand years. <clears throat> and all the evil machinations they do between the different houses that uh, rule the economy of the world and the sacrifices they make of other people and nations and such. And, but those people are completely evil. Huh? But here he's done the same story, but with people who are supposedly the heroes. Maybe that also colored my view of all of this. But for people who liked House of X and House uh, Powers of X, I think you should go seek out those two trades of um, Black Monday murders. It's a similar kind of, and I really enjoyed it a lot. Um, but uh, but I viewed it as a horror story, um, which I think it was intended to be. So uh, anyway, that's my suggestion to, to everyone actually to go out and read those those two trades. Which of of what you've read so far of the stuff spinning out of this, what do you recommend most to our listeners? Well, like I said, Marauders, I think, is definitely a big one. And then, you know, X-Men proper is pretty fun. Um, is Hickman still writing X-Men proper? He's doing X-Men proper and he's doing New Mutants. Um, which is weird because New Mutants has like the least to do with any of the rest of this. Does it feature characters from the original New Mutants, or it does? There's. And what's interesting about all these new series is they kind of do arcs where they'll focus on certain characters, and then they'll do another arc that might focus on some different characters. Um, and so they, it's really focused on telling stories that like are compelling and interesting, and are examining something different. And they've already played with the idea of it, of someone coming in and executing Xavier and then of course he's reborn um, and uh, yeah there was some reference in how in in the Hox Pox book of <laughs> how somehow Xavier can be reborn also by creating his own rebirth because everyone else's rebirth is done by Xavier using by Xavier's power and combined with Cerebro to put a copy of their brain inside their new body mm -hmm. or their soul somehow. Somehow it's a little more than just their brain, but their soul is involved. Yep. So how can he bring himself back to life? I couldn't wrap my mind around that, although they do say he can do it. Yeah, they don't dive into the details of that too much, which is <laughs> probably for the best. Right. Well... It's, it's also an amazing feat that someone has come along and pushed a Marvel franchise into a whole new zone rather than resetting things back to where it used to be. Mm -hmm. And I can't think of anything else that has done that. I think Dan Slott did that with Spider-Man, but... Okay, maybe he did, yeah, since I haven't read the Spider-Man. I you may not be quite at this level though, but um, yeah, I uh, I I do appreciate these kind of shifts, and that's the thing is you're talking about this. Eventually, you know, this house of cards will fall, and it, you know, something closer to the status quo will happen. But 
Well, once the sales slump, a new way to rejigger sales is to um, speak to some nostalgia. So we will we'll, uh, try to make this a little more like push Claremont's X-Men now or reset things to the good old days of Stan Lee and Jack Kirby. Yeah, I don't think anybody wants to go that far back with X-Men. Well, I think a li- they were trying to do that a little bit with Bendis when he brought the original X-Men into our timeline i never learned how they resolved that did they ever send those people back to their own time they did somewhere along the line (laughs) so i never heard anyone talk about that for a long time you know like we were talking about the the young Iceman outing the older Iceman. Um, (laughs) yeah it's, uh, so I don't know when the young Iceman was out of the picture and it was and gone. Well, I just got a lot of the all new X Men run, which is Bendis's run. So yeah. maybe it's talked about more there. I I think I don't think he wrapped that up, but I guess I don't know because I didn't get to the end of his run either. So there's yeah. another run. I read about half of Bendis's run on the X Men before I kind of petered out. I think that's fair. It's. Uh... Too many events going on killed it. Well, and Bendis on the X Men, I just it was not his strongest stuff. Yeah. Well, will the X Men? Because I don't know. There's some new uh, event coming to Marvel called Incoming. Will the X Men be sucked into that, and will that kind of ruin their storyline? I have. Or will I don't they be able to stay out of it. I read like a blip about incoming isn't incoming about like a death of a certain character and most people are just trying to solve the mystery or something i actually don't know i have no idea what it is i just know that's the next thing and then somewhere in the future is probably a big thing involving null and venom again and then will null fight the machine menace in the uh (laughs) see that's the sort of intersection i want to see more of is like you know they set up all this and then why not just have those two toys clunk at each other and let the pieces fall where they may has anyone played with the celestials recently because they seem very close to the closest thing to the um they were mentioned here and there but i don't think they're actually used you could probably tie the Celestials into these machine intelligences living inside black holes. You know, maybe those are, they're like physical extensions of them sent out into the universe. Maybe. To, I don't know. to seed planets with, with humanoids who will eventually create machine life that will eventually take over and, and rejoin the mothership. I don't know. Now I'm just riffing. Not bad. I haven't read much of the Celestials, so I don't know if that plays... See, I already had, I had problems with this. Those were invented originally by Jack Kirby and the Eternals. Mm-hmm. And they come back to Earth every, you know, 10 millennium or something to, to judge whether life on Earth is still worth keeping going or something. So I had trouble with the, the huge cosmicness of them. I have trouble with huge cosmicness beyond a certain point, even though I enjoy cosmic tales. But we will return. The, the universe will die contract expand explode but then the silver surfer will seed the stars back into the sky as he did at the end of silver surfer black and matt and i will be reborn to do another podcast does that sound about right that 
sounds good. It sounds like we uh, have a little bit of time to plan for the next one. Yeah, I'm not sure. Alright. 